0: We are midway through September and are also midway through our September sermon series, as you just saw, the End Times Church. And I've explained uh, if that term is a buzzword for you and you're joining us for the first time, I do actually invite you to pause and go back and listen to at least the first sermon where I do define end times and why we're uh, focusing on this for September uh, because it's not what eh, I don't want to say the majority but it's not what's often thought of real quickly end times is defined by Hebrews 1 1 and 2 as basically every day this side of the cross so the end times when we talk about the end times we're not talking about the ultimate end of everything which is actually one could argue more the beginning of things when God comes back to set all things right but we're talking about every day since Jesus has died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. These days, since Jesus, Hebrews says, are the last days, or rather the end time. And so our sermon series has been all about what? our job is about what our vocation is about what our response is about what our acts actions are as an end times church not as one twiddling our fingers like the thessalonians were and paul has to chide them if you don't work you don't eat stop waiting around for jesus and get to work that's actually that is actually a little bit more now that i mention it what we're talking about what is that work what is our job how do we respond and especially in these times of the pandemic which is still not going away, of race relations being unfortunately very embittered and embattled, about politics and election year, about the intricacies of everything that life is anyway, with jobs and finances and kids and lack of sleep and all these things, What is our job? What is our response? How do we be an end times church in the sense of how God intends? And that's been our focus. We've talked about the last couple of weeks about how at first and foremost, just big picture kind of working in about how our response is that we must be present with the world that we must realize that God is revealed and manifested in and through these current events. We can't afford, we cannot just be waiting around going, hmm, I wonder what God's going to do with this. Oh, I wonder what God's going to do with that. We can, but we have to realize that God is actually working in and through and is revealed to both his people and the world through these current events. Whatever is going on, whatever is going on uh, out in the world is a chance for God to be glorified, is a chance for him to be revealed inside, some way, And we can't miss that. Now, you'd think that we wouldn't miss it because if it's all around, we miss it more often than we think. And we miss it because it's not just about God being revealed, but it's also about the fact that God is revealed and always has been revealed and has worked uh, with and through human partners. He has always partnered with humans since day one. We'll actually get into that a little bit in the sermon in Romans turn to Romans 8. Uh, we'll be doing a quick survey of Romans, but we'll be focusing in Romans 8 today. Um, since day one, when he created the garden, what has he asked of human beings? From day one, he gave Adam the job of stewardship of the garden, to tend it, care for it, to, to uphold it as an image bearer in his world. And that's actually extremely important when it comes to Romans 8. I'll get to that a little bit later. From that, we talked about how our first foremost, and perhaps our best response, is to pray. And not just pray, and I, I don't want to, I, I talked about this last week, I don't want to indict anyone, or I don't want to speak ill of anything, but not just to tack on some prayer requests at the end of a service, and be like, oh yeah, please pray for your will be done, and oh yeah, please please pray for these things. That's good, and there is a place for that. I'm not knocking that. But what I am saying is that prayer has to be intentional. And we covered a couple points last week about why that is. We covered the points about that prayer begins the conversation with God about whatever it is in our hearts. It refreshes and refocuses our hearts and minds towards the subject of our prayer. And it initiates God's work in and through us. It's not just about, hey, God, come down here and do something about it. But when we pray, just like we we talk to each other about when we have problems or we have situations and we go, wait a minute, I think there's something we can do about this prayer is what does that in a kingdom sense for us. And all that is important, namely the fact that all that leads to the fact that we must be in penitent, intentional, and present prayer at exactly the places, arguably most of all the places, that the world is in pain, that the world is suffering in. Those times which things happen and we don't know why are not the times to throw up our hands and go, well, I'm out. And actually Romans addresses that too, Romans 8, but it's exactly the time to be in prayer, present prayer, addressing the needs as best we can, penitent prayer, intentional prayer at the very places and the very ways the The world is in pain. So the question then is, and I warned you, told you, warned you uh, last week, that we were building a case for things, and this is the big cog in that. What does that look like? Both in the sense about what does that prayer look like? Because oftentimes things happen and we go, I have I, I don't know what to say about this. What do we even what do you say about this? I mean, take one of the present uh, current crises in Oregon from wherever you're joining us for. We've had Wildfires that have caused evacuations, that have caused deaths, that have caused so far untold numbers of of economic loss and property loss. Who knows how many uh, side effects of, of people breathing the smoke. I mean, the cost is near incalculable. What do you say to that? Obviously, you pray and address the need. You say, God, stop the fires, bring rain. But what do you say when you're faced with the suffering and the loss and just the the enormity of some of the things that the world throws at us? So what does that prayer look like? And why does it matter that that prayer looks like that? And what comes from that? All good questions we're going to address in the next 20 minutes or less. Hopefully, I don't want to go too long this week. I went a little bit long last week. I'm trying to, anyway, it doesn't matter. I mentioned a moment ago that God has worked in partnership with his people since day one. And I want to go back to that for a minute. We're not going to necessarily turn there and explore Genesis 1, 2, and 3. But just remember, God creates Adam. And what's the first job that he gives Adam is to take care, steward the garden, steward the land. And stewardship is not just, hey, this is yours, do what you want with it, nor is it uh, I'm going to manage and micromanage everything. Stewardship is to take care of this in my place. it's, It's a job to do take care of this. We have to remember a couple things actually about before we delve into Romans that overlaying and overarching the arguments in Romans is the basic foundation of God's initial mission stewardship for humankind. God created this world And there's actually, I'm not going to go into this. Hopefully it piques some curiosity for you. There's actually a really neat image that we have of God basically creating a temple for himself. And what's the last thing you do when you create a temple of a God? You put an image into it of that God. God creates humans as his image bearers and gives to humans the tasks, living, breathing humans, living, breathing image bearers, the task of running the world, of organizing the world, taking care of the world, God's place, God's temple, God's house, as his image bearers. So, number one that I want to pose to you coming into this study is that it follows that if humans rebel, that if humans forsake our our mission i'm not just talking i am not talking about the the extreme environmentalism or anything like that i'm not even talking about land use or conservation i'm not talking about any of that i'm just talking about basic big picture if humans for if humans rebel in our original mission to be hum, uh, human image bearers of god then it makes sense to say that it's not just the human race and 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 our livelihood that suffers But creation suffers in a way, too. You see how that follows? Because creation is supposed to be stewarded, it's supposed to be taken care of by image-bearing, wise human beings. Yes? Following so far. This is important because it then follows that as you go through Genesis and you find the people that, in essence, Take the place of Adam, but are never quite up to what God needs to be. God being that intercessor between man and human, uh, man and human. Well, yeah. But between man, humans, and God, there's never one that quite uh, lives up. As we've covered before in previous sermons, there's never one that quite is able to pass the test, able to quite to be faithful. Uh, They're all looking to not only reverse the sin of Adam but also the effects of Adam. Does that make sense? Adam not only sinned, and and Adam and Eve, yes, but Romans particularly, I'm, I'm delving into Romans here, Adam sinned, and it's not just the sin that needs dealt with, but it's the effects of that sin. It's the consequences of that sin. So that's why in Romans, whenever Paul starts out, we're going to be in Romans 8, but I want to give you a quick, build up to where we are in Romans 8. That's why in Romans 8 he begins talking about what is the gospel. And so it's the, it's the power of the gospel for the salvation of everyone who believes for Jew first and then to Greeks. For in this, the righteousness of God is revealed the right relationship between man and God. That's important. Number one, righteousness, um, in the Greek is based off the Hebrew idea uh, of tzedakah, of right relationship between man and God, not just being, being good or being, uh, completely, completely, you know, straighten the law, but straight with relationship. And so then he spends basically <clears throat> 2, 3, and 4 talking about what sin is, the effects of sin, about there is no one outside of the guilt and the consequence, if you will, of that sin, although Abraham was called to start to reverse some of that. And we know that because he was called by which all men, all people will be blessed, and he was given the beginning of Of a land. And so the idea is that Adam is called to not only reverse the sin of Adam, but the effects of Adam in creation, which is why then Adam is brought in as um, the first Adam and the second Adam language in Romans chapter 5 about how we attain peace with God. But Paul says the first Adam didn't do it, the second Adam, who is Christ, through him we are dead to sin and alive to God. And he expounds upon that in chapter 6, about how, what righteousness is, about how to, um, in a sense, attain that righteousness, about how to get in that relationship. And then he comes to chapter 7, which chapter 7 is basically the contrast of humans trying, human effort, um, versus versus what is attainable. And so then we come to chapter 8, and he starts chapter 8, that was a very quick run through, I admit, but hopefully that gives you, and if nothing else, that addresses where I'm going today. Chapter 8 starts out, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that actually is a very weird conclusion to get from chapter 7, because chapter 7 is all about how, in essence, people feel nothing but condemned, or at least Paul did, or the subject. It's important to note, chap- I'm, know, I'm like on chapter seven of my sub points, but it's important to note that we don't get that conclusion based on what came before, which is usually what happens with, um, some, in some translations, it's translated, therefore, uh, in chapter one, in verse one, sorry, chapter eight, verse one. We get that conclusion by what's after, verse one, what is the condemnation? Now I'm not going to go that because that's not the sermon that's going to be forever. What is condemnation that Paul is talking about? It's the condemnation of sin, right? Now, what is sin? Many of you might have known that it's the from the Greek word hamartia, which is all about uh, target practice in a sense. You shoot an arrow, you shoot something, and you miss the mark. Now the question is, what is the mark? What is the target? that Paul is saying that we're missing. And this is the most important thing that a lot of people don't get quite right. I'm not saying I'm right. It's where I am right now. We have to acknowledge that. What is the mark? Not being perfect in the law. It's about being fully human image bearers. It's about fulfilling the first mission, the first command that God ever gave us, basically, to be our, His image bearers in His world. That's important because unless you know what target that we're trying to hit and miss, and therefore what target Paul is trying to redirect in Romans, we miss some of these points. Why do we miss? Well, we're distracted, we're looking in the wrong direction, In other words, we're worshiping idols. We worship things that aren't God. And instead of us, as the illustration I've used before, instead of us reflecting God's image into the world and his glory back up to him, we start to reflect the image of the idols that we worship. And therefore, our angled mirrors become less and less human, and more and more whatever we're reflecting. That's the way to death. That Paul talks about, that you cease to be the human, the image-bearing human that you were meant to be. Now, Paul's whole thesis in Romans is that we believe in a God who will rescue the whole creation by redeeming the human beings that were looking after it in the first place, by rescuing them from the idolatry that they're into, by which they sin and by which they die. That was a huge exposition shoved together. But hopefully, you see, if Even if you don't believe that, or if you disagree with points of that, let's at least look at that and come into Romans 8 from that foundation. The thing is, what is important, is that if we believe that God is a good God, he has to condemn that which is corrupting his image bearers and his good world, right? That's the condemnation that we are free from in the life of Christ, the life of a fully image-bearing human that we are to emulate and Christ's death clears the way for. That was like year one of soteriology in college, just right there. But (laughs) hopefully you're caught up. I want to start reading in verse 18 of chapter 8, because that's roughly where we are now. There's still a lot of details to fill in. but that's where we are right now. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation But we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us glorified. Now, offhand with the foundation that I said, hopefully some of that starts to click together maybe in ways that it might not have otherwise. Now, a lot of times we're in Bible classes and we don't know really what to do with the whole creation groaning stuff, unless you realize that the stewardship of the creation was part of what it means to be an image bearer of God. You see how that works together. I want to talk specifically about Romans 8, 28. And that's the whole point that I've taken 20 minutes to get to, is that Romans 8.28 is often a verse that we come to whenever we see things that we can't explain. And the way that I have most often heard it applied, and in fact I've applied it this way before, is that we need not worry about what's going on. It's good in the sense that God will use it for some good somehow. Because, after all, he loves those who are called according to his purpose. The purpose being, we're not quite sure, but we know that it's according to his purpose of being in Christ or being saved. It's a good purpose. That's how I have most often heard this applied. And is that necessarily wrong? Well, there are principles all throughout Scripture that God is aware. He's never caught surprised by what goes on in our world. Therefore, he does use, in a sense, all things that happen... In order to further his will and his plan, but is that what this verse means? I want to talk through three points using the, uh, in essence, the structure of this uh, verse, and I and I and I I'm, they're out of order a little bit because maybe in your translation, um, based on your translation. So anyway, I want to start with the whole concept that all things. Work together, and here's why I want to start with that. Because oftentimes we think that that's the subject of this verse, that the all things are the ones that are working together through God and all that. I don't know if that's the subject, because if that's the subject, all things are working. Do we really think that these things have some sort of external energy or agency that that God then must respond to? That God goes, oh yes, this is coming up, so therefore I have to figure out. I mean. It's trite, but this is coming up in the future and I have to figure out how to make this good. I don't think that's how God works. I don't think that's how the world works. And I think actually the subject here is God himself because he's the subject all throughout. It makes sense that God continues to be the subject. There's a case to be made, there's the spirit, but I think the subject here in verse 828 is God himself. We have to keep that in mind. The second thing is that if God's a subject, that all things are an agent, in a sense, of God. Not that God causes or wills all things. He doesn't. But that they are still in submission to God. And what does that mean? As I said before, it means that God can't be taken by surprise. But it doesn't mean... That the things are out there that God is responding to. The second thing it means is that it really does mean all things. And all things are actually spoken to a little bit earlier. Did you notice the three sets of groanings in the verses that preceded verse 828? Creation itself, in verse 21, uh, hopes to be set free from its bondage to corruption. Makes sense now, doesn't it? and obtain the freedom and the glory of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth up to now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, rather first with the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. But then also, the Spirit intercedes when we don't know what to pray in response to everything else that's going on, with groans too deep. Excuse me, for for words. Let's go back to the condemnation thing. For a minute. We believe in a God who's rescued the whole who wants to rescue the entire creation and entire world. Therefore, we believe that God must condemn that which defaces and as I said deconstructs his world. Now we often think that or this is out there, that God is out to get everyone who has sinned because how dare you against God and Jesus got on the way. That's not the gospel. God rightly hates and def- what defaces and destroys his good creation. And since humans, all humans, have been a part of that, we ought to say that God really must judge us because he is a good God. But the reason there's no condemnation is because the law of the Spirit of life in the Messiah Jesus has released us from that sin and death. Having said that, there are still things that deface deconstruct and destroy God's world and God's image bearers. We know this all too well. There are still things that are seeking to destroy God's good world, that are actively working against God's good world, acting workingly against God's image bearers, and we Groan, because we await that redemption. We want that redemption. We want God to redeem things. And we know that the things that happen aren't the way they're supposed to be. We wonder all the time how things could happen and, and how God could allow this. How could a good God... The point is, I think, one of these passages about the groanings is that if we wonder why God and how God could allow these things still in faith and through prayer talking to God, that's the right place to be. Think about the implications of what these are saying here about the groanings of the spirit of creation and such. It's basically saying that God Himself, God in the Spirit, in response, in a sense, knowing and seeing what's going on in the world, is also apparently unable to manage words when only groans. This is actually bringing in Psalm forty-four in the Psalms of in the Songs of Lament, that God is the one who searches hearts and knows exactly what's going on there. The mystery is, though, as he searches hearts through the Spirit and knows the Spirit's mind, as a scholar puts it, the mind that the Father knows is a mind that doesn't know what to say. You ever think about the implication of that? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit himself has no words. Therefore, the mind that God knows and and is inside and knows what's going on has no words. A lot of us might not be comfortable with that because... God is God, he has to be in control, he has to know what's going on at all times. Do you really mean that the God, the sovereign of the universe, the, the God who has overcome death, might sometimes simply find himself in tears at the consequence of it and not know what to say or have no words to describe what's going on? Well, that's Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, who although he had no reason to cried and wept at the hurt of the world around him. When we have things that we can't explain, when we're faced with things that just make us drop our jaws and don't know what's going on, and all we have to say is, God, I got nothing. (laughs) That's okay. All things includes those moments too, and in fact, it's those times especially when the world, when the church, when I dare say, creation groans because of the things that are so not what was supposed to happen. Especially when the only time we can respond or groans, beyond words, these things which we don't know how to respond to. Especially in those times, is God present, the Spirit present, and He joins us in those moments of presence, mourning, vulnerability, Whatever there is, he joins us there. All things work together for those who love God, as the passage continues. For the good of those who love God. Or as the ESV translated, ESV starts out, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. So he, again, as I said, translations are different. Many explain that the lack of understanding what's going on, or understanding the comprehension of that and why is that going on, is that saying, as I said, literally what the passage sometimes is translated in English, that all things are working for the good, or even some translations say, I think the King James even says, for the benefit of those who love God. Now, that may be comforting to some, and that principle, as I said, is certainly true. But it makes me ask the question, Is it really the goal of this verse and the principle that it's talking about of the church to just sit in passive acceptance of whatever's going on? Now, let me explain by that, maybe a bit verbosely. There are race riots going on. Let God work it out. The pandemic is going on. Let God work it out. There are homeless and needy people in our community. Let God work it out. All things will be worked out for good. It'll be worked out for good for them somehow. Let God work it out. Now, I don't think we really believe that. But at the same time, we see these things in front of us and we're not really sure what to do about them. The problem with translating it that way is that the verb that is translated to work for the benefit of or work for the good of, it actually doesn't mean for the benefit or for the good for. It's not the word ergozomai, which is oftentimes translated work or work for. It's the word synergeo, which if you're familiar with the modern concept, somewhat modern concept of synergy, Synergeo, which means to work together. The synergeo, the sin, S-Y-N S-Y-A at the beginning, where it means together. Uh, the erg bit means work, so work together with. How does that change this passage? Well, instead of meaning God will work all things for the benefit for, it's actually much better translated. God works and cooperates, co-operates for good, with God works with God. Co- God is in the, operating with the benefit with those who are working for His purpose, which we'll get to that in just a minute. God cooperates for good with those who love Him. Just on a, offhand, how does that change even the church's? role when it comes to some of these things. Instead of waiting for God to sit back and, and fix things, well, God actually works with those. It connects with the fact that God doesn't work outside of his partnership with humans. It connects to the fact that God is revealed in and through the things going on because. His image bearers are in and through the things going on. It works in the fact that we are to be in prayer at the times and at the places that the world is in pain, and therefore God is working with and through those people who are praying in the midst of the world at that pain. The church is called to work knowing that God is at work in and through us, even through, as this passage is out in verse 18, even through suffering, which is here's other places, Says makes us more like Jesus. Love here then isn't just about knowledge or knowing, knowing that God is out there, knowing that that relationship, but it's about that kind of love of which you work with somebody and you're just with somebody getting through day by day, getting through crises day by day. It's that deep and intimate connection of simply sometimes weathering the storm, knowing that if you work together or work through things, you'll come on the other side. That's the kind of love here that God is talking about because he's not just working for you and you're the beneficiary. God is working with you. You weather it together, even if you don't know what to say and do. Thirdly, and, uh, Unfortunately, this one would be a little bit quick. I probably should have made this into two sermons now in retrospect. but Oh, well, we're in the middle of it. Finally, thirdly, called according to his purpose. And oftentimes, we think that that means heaven. But look at the surrounding context. We're talking about creation groaning. We're talking about the Spirit groaning. We're talking about the Spirit, uh, us groaning in the Spirit, and the Spirit groaning in us. And look at what comes after, according to his purpose for Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his Son, the image bearer on earth. If we are conformed into Jesus, if we are to be called like Jesus, we are to become like Jesus. Jesus was the image bearer of God in flesh. Jesus is the standard for what that means. So what's the purpose that God calls to? Or at least his first costume. It's not the purpose for these people who God is working with, with all things. It's God's purpose through these people that God is working with for good through all things, even through the groans and through suffering. And through the chaos. This is the church in Antioch. Remember we started out in Acts 11. The church in Antioch. Well let's just go there real quick. Acts is the other way. Acts 11. At the very end of the chapter. And I mentioned this in the opening sermon. um, Now in those days in verse 27. Now the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit. That there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples said don't worry. God will make this good. No. He says, don't worry. We don't need to do anything. They're fine. No. They said, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas. And so, why? Because, one, it's a good thing to do. But then, two, they recognize that the good that God would do would be through them. God's purpose is for them to be more like Jesus, which they recognize to be serving their fellow congregation, which really hadn't been done before, in this way. Like Jesus. Church, brethren and sisters, if I could just sum it up. The church, the church was never meant to just sit around and wait for God to save us and rescue us. No. I don't mean to be blonde, but I I do. The church never was meant to be sit around and wait for God to save us, nor was it only meant to go around and tell people, hey, God will save you. So therefore, be saved, get baptized. And then, oh yeah, if we have a need for you, maybe then we'll use in one of our ministries. The church itself, the kingdom itself, God's people themselves, are part of the very method by which God will rescue us, the world, creation itself, the first fruits of which are seen in Christ, who is the first true human image bearer. That gives us a way out of the condemnation wrought on us by sin from worshiping idols and abandoning our calling. God is using the churches, the worlds, the creations, past, present, and future groanings. But it's not just that he's listening and responding and going, hey, I'll try to make this better. He is groaning with us. He is working with us. He is working in us. He has come to us in the form of Jesus Christ so that we may come to him and by his purpose for us, work with him for the good, that can address those groans, that can spread his kingdom to all people, And can redeem everything, begin to set the world right, right now. That's our job, church. That's our job, brothers and sisters. And we'll expound upon this a little bit more. Next week we'll be finished up about what this looks like. A bit more tangibly, a bit more, you know, real world. But I want you to consider this week the fact that when God is working all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, He means that He's working His purpose out through you and with you for the good to address the world in pain around you. How does that change... point of our ministries how does that change the point of our lives how does that change what salvation means and how does that change the way we pray if you happen to be watching this and you're wondering about your place in this and you're not quite sure possibly if God is working with you or not, if you're in the church or out of the church, if you're in the kingdom or not. i invite you to contact us. And we can study together. We can see where you are. It begins, obviously, with committing to Christ as king, not just as, as good idea, but Christ as king, submitting yourself to him and his purpose in and through you, joining him in baptism, and becoming part of the kingdom by which God rescues everything through his one true son and Lord Jesus Christ. Next week we'll finish up and explore a few more details about the church's role as God's partners. But this week I challenge you, be the one through which God works his purpose through you, for good, with you, out of your love, for a good God, grace to you.